Episode 213 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with the delightful English singer-songwriter and musician Linda Lewis. In the 1970s, Linda had a string of hit songs, most notably Rock-A-Doodle-Doo and her version of It's In His Kiss. Her solo albums such as Lark, Not A Little Girl Anymore and Woman Overboard became successful in other countries such as Japan. Linda also provided backing vocals for many great artists including David Bowie, Cat Stevens, Joan Armatrading and Rod Stewart whose guitarist Jim Cregan was her first husband. Very sadly Linda died in 2023 at the age of 72. This interview took place in 2003 at her remarkably modest home in Surrey. You're actually from this area, are you from West Ham or something, right? Yep, East End, uh-huh. London, Canning Town. Right. And what do you remember of that time? Was it, did you look back with fondness? Um, yeah, because I was born in a house that was in a street that was, the doors were always open and it was like in the 50s, you know. My granddad was from the West Indies. It was a street that was all mixed couples. So you mixed had like, race. mixed race, right, yeah. Right. So you had like lots of Jamaican, uh, West Indian sailors <laughs> had married white people, mm-hmm. and so you had that like, very colourful area. So there was always lots of things going on. I remember Prince Wallalula coming to visit us. He was the king of the racetrack. He came through the door and he was wearing his headdress, and I remember running and hiding under the table because <laughs> he was a friend of my granddad's. He was he liked to bet on the horses, and my nan was a very cockney lady, you know, mm-hmm. swearing. And, but work, really work hard, and um, I always remember singing. The first memory I have is standing on a shop counter, those little corner shops, mm-hmm. and standing up there and um, singing, and everyone going, ah. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what were you singing, do you remember? I can't remember the song, no, I can't remember. One of the earliest songs I remember singing was Rock Around the Clock. Oh yeah. <laughs> and my <laughs> mum made me this little skirt with like little guitars and little, oh notes on it and stuff but then when everyone got an inkling of my of my uh, talent or whatever because I was always singing everywhere all over the street and and um were you from a musical family were your parents quite musical well my mum sings and she wanted to sing as a, as a girl but my granddad thought that it was um a dicey business to go into he was right yeah <laughs> I should have listened <laughs> And she tried to run away with some big band once and he, he found her in a hotel and threatened the geezer with a knife and that was the end of her career. <laughs> she was only about 16 at the time. So when she had me when she was very young, she kind of put all her ambition into me. My dad, yeah, my dad is like an ex-factor, I'm not quite sure who my dad was, <laughs> but she reckons he, he's a piano player. You've never known who your dad is? Well, I knew the dad who brought me up. Right, but, um, it was your stepdad. Yeah, but all the girls, like Shirley and Dee Dee, and my sisters, they're all singers, so we all take after my mum. So how many are blood sisters and how many are No, we've all got different dads. Really? <laughs> my mum was a bit before her time, I think. Yeah, it's really liberated. <laughs> yeah. So um, seven children altogether, isn't it? Six, and six I, I'm the eldest. Four girls and right. two boys. And there's only two who haven't got really good voice and they were the actual children of the dad who brought me up so he must have inherited his <laughs> because he wasn't very musical but my granddad was musical and my nan was always singing I don't know she used to sing Gracie Field songs so I had like this music hall and West Indian influence coming at me and only like BBC radio so we didn't hear lots of yeah. oh but then we used to hear things by the platters and Nat King Cole so yeah. my mum was always listening to like that American music Billy Holiday and stuff but I used to sit on the stairs when her friends come round and they'd all be dancing <laughs> in the living room to all these fantastic sounds yeah yeah, yeah the dolls always had people in and out and lots of rows and then making up and very volatile you know kids running in and out and then when I went to school I remember I went to a school where I was the only black kid in the school for a while and I used to charge the kids uh, through I think it was to come and have a look at my granddad. Pete. Your granddad? Yeah. <laughs> my granddad. I want to see your granddad. <laughs> because he was, he looked like a black Jimi Hendrix, like really, and he used to, because you know in those old houses they used to only have like one window 
but they didn't have a lot of windows. There wasn't a lot of light coming in. So it was an old, old sort of semi-detached, two up and two down. And they used to sit in the window, so with the silhouette, like, with the light coming from the background, I was very into the visual stuff. And his big, like, white hair, and he was black. So they used to peek round the door and sing, ah! <laughs> so I used to charge my friends to come. And, and my granddad was cool about it. He was like, he used to go. And then my nan would come and go, what's going on? Effing this and effing that. And she used to call him an effing darkie one, <laughs> which wasn't very nice. But in those days, that's what he did, you know. And Were both your parents black? Well, I don't know who my dad was. So your, your mum doesn't know... Oh, yeah, she knows, but she's, she, she don't like to talk about it. It's all like, don't bring that up again. The skeleton's in the cupboard, because I didn't find out till I was 14 the, that my dad wasn't my dad. Right, OK. Have you ever wanted to try and find him? Yeah, I did try. I went through a period when I was like, oh, supposing I've inherited some awful disease and I was very um, insecure when I first mm. started getting famous. And you think, well, why am I famous? I don't deserve all this. And you start... Lots of things come in to, like, try and trip you up. And I had to have quite a lot of therapy, actually. <laughs> that was when I was having my hits. Did you actually try and find him, though? Did you go through the records offices and so Well, on? she wouldn't tell me his name. Would she not help you now, or do you not want to know now? Well, I don't really want to know now. It doesn't really mm. matter, because ever since I, I adopted my son, yeah. um, that's Jesse, the picture of him okay. there. Yeah, yeah. It now doesn't seem to matter if, mm. you, if you're connected by blood, because mm. it's like the the love and the care that you get when you're being brought up. Mm -hmm. So when I think of, like, my dad, I call him my dad. Your stepdad? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to write a book one day. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was thinking on the way up, you should, because yeah. your story's incredible. Oh, you helped me. I, I, we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I had a very good childhood to love, as I say, when I was a teenager. Yeah. I think you said you were the only black person at your school, black kid at your school, is that at right? At first, Was yeah. that a disadvantage, did you feel? Did you find it a disadvantage? Yeah, because it was hard, because I used to get bullied a bit and um, get called names, which I've never had before, because mm -hmm. my house was both. There wasn't a difference. It was black mm -hmm. and white. You know, so it was like, what's the big deal? When you went mm -hmm. to school, it was like, ooh, you're, you know, you've got dirty hands or things like that. They used to call you gollywog and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then I remember getting hit or something, coming home and crying. My mum said, if you don't beat them, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> and that's when I learned how to fight. <laughs> How old so, were you then? Oh, about seven. Mm. So I become a little tough little thing in school, and just and then also the music helped as well. I remember there was a crowd of girls that used to wait for me on the corner um, when I come home from school, and I used to see them and think, "Oh no, here we go!" <laughs> and they used to like beat me up before I got got home. One day I just started singing, and they were like, "Oh wow." And tap dancing, I was like, hey, <laughs> and that sort of got me out of trouble. Mm -hmm. So I always associated that with survival as well. Mm -hmm. Do you feel, looking back, that it was an incentive in a way you wanted to prove yourself and say to those people, look at me now, sort of thing? That was part of it, but it was also an escapism into fantasy world. You know, because when you're in the music, you're like in another world. It actually takes you away from anything. And also, even if you just thinking about music. Music is like a background to anything. It becomes a kind of... Um, soundtrack. Yeah, soundtrack to what's going on, and mm. you become very sort of observant mm. of things. I mean, I started writing songs really young. How young? Twelve. Right. I mean, they were rubbish. <laughs> but in my, in my head, yeah. you know, they were things that, um, that helped me a lot with my feelings and my angst and everything like that. So. What was the one song you heard as a kid you thought... Mm. That, and that, that really sort of made you think about yeah, singing in the music. Yeah, um, when I fall in love, that one. Oh, Nat King. Nat King Cole. Yeah, and my yeah. mum used to sing Only You by the Platters to us when we went to sleep. So it was very sort of romantic y. Because when I did find out about my dad, that he was my dad, I imagined, when she said he was a piano player, I imagined he was exactly like Nat King Cole. I went to a stage school as well. Mm -hmm. Peggy O'Farrell's School of 100 Wonderful Children. Really? <laughs> That's what it was called. Really? Were there 100 children? <laughs> well, I don't know. I never counted. Well, but there were three funny. classes. I actually went there to school as well. Three classes of from, like, five years old to 16, and they lumped you into those. So you never actually learned any academic stuff. It was all, like, Still a cover-up for working. Yeah. We used to do films and stuff. And, um, 
There was that one other little boy, Colin, that's right, Colin. We were the only black kids in that school. Stage school was quite unusual in those days for kids to go to that, unless you're sort of the offspring of stage people, as it were. Yeah. So, very unusual for you. Especially like from a working class background yeah, where you exactly. had to pay private fees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think I only went there for about a year because then my mum couldn't afford it. Because I remember it was half a crown, for, do you remember half a crown? <laughs> half a crown for your dinner in those days, yeah. for your lunch. But I did a lot of films and I probably made some money. I don't remember how much I made. Mm -hmm. well, how did your mum feel about you doing movies and stuff? Did you think, oh, Linda, you know, she's Oh, yeah. She was really, my mum was like a stage mum. Yeah. Mm. She was like Gypsy Rose Lee's mum. She was right. really, really pushy. And most of the mums at that school were like that. Right. And a lot of the kids had like tics because they were all so nervous. And mm. They were so, and I just used to look. Look around, and, and I was kind of ostracised there as well because I used to get picked to do the lead vocals and everything. Right. So I used to get a lot of stick from the kids, you know, mm -hmm. besides being the only black kid. So I really, I had a very unhappy time there. But was there a time when somebody heard your voice and said, wow, that girl is special, she's got some talent there? When Ian Samwell discovered me, yeah. when I was like 14. But not as a tiny little kid then? Oh, when I was Michael a kid. Jack not not anyone who was um, important, yeah, but I mean, kids, you know, we didn't come into contact with those kind mm. of people. Like, but like at the stage school, I always had the um, the, the songs, you know, mm -hmm. I was the singer of the lead songs mm. and everything. Did you think then, that's what I want to do with my life? Or did you just think, what am I doing here? Eventually I thought, what am I doing here? Because this is, this is not making me happy, because... I wanted to sing the songs, but I knew if I got to be the lead singer, then there'd be a lot of jealousy and stuff, and there was a lot, lot, a lot of competition, a really horrible competition. So I was kind of tugged between two worlds of wanting to do it and wanting to please my mum, and just wanting to be normal. And you said that it got you into films. Tell us about some of the films that you appeared in. I was only a little urchin running around. Okay. <laughs> a Taste of Honey, a Secret Place. I think I had my first talking part in a secret place, and that was my first and last talking part. I was in a hard day's night, but just I screaming. I, I want to get onto this. But <laughs> um, are you easily identifiable? You can see me, yeah, because yeah. I'm like this little, like the only little black girl in the park with the little curly hair, and I always got picked because mm. I just used to. We had standing lines when the director came and I cast it. And I always remember, like, standing there all kind of, like, projecting yeah. and being there. And, like, you must pick me. And I always got picked. I think once I didn't get picked, it was just <clears throat> horrible walking home with my mum. Because she was, like, she went really cold. She was, like, on the way there, she would hold my hand and on the way home. She didn't say anything. But it, I could tell she was so disappointed that I didn't get picked. So for a long time, I had this thing with my mother. Like, she was living through me. And so, like, when I did get famous, I always gave my mum a... a yeah, my mum did it, my mum. And yeah. she always had a picture of Lil on the buses. And <laughs> it was like this, and it was like... <laughs> you know, till it got to the point where I was like, hang on a sec, whose life am I living mm. in? Mm. Yeah. Now, were you a big Beatles fan? Were you caught up in all that before you did Yeah, I was, stuff? yeah. I was, yeah, I was like... I wanted to marry Paul, but I wanted to, I wanted to have sex with John. How old were you then? Thirty. Thirty. Yeah. Brief. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but girls like come of age quick, quicker than. Although, I guess they Although are. I didn't even know if you know where it would go if you did yeah, have yeah, sex. Yeah, I hadn't yeah, got yeah. a clue. Yeah, yeah. I was naive in that way, but I had the feelings, you know. To be up for that film, you have to be very excited. To be. Oh yeah. You know, I had all the stuff, all the gear, and um, I remember travelling on train up to the, the theatre. can't remember what theatre it was, though. We, we were just in the crowd screaming, yeah, right. part of the concert. And we had to scream, but I didn't scream because I wanted to listen. I'm trying to listen, you can see me. Okay. When I had a big hit in Japan a couple of years ago, they had a frame of me right. just going like that. And all the others are going, ah. yeah. <laughs> and I was just going... I'm oh. <laughs> trying to listen because I wanted to hear the music and I just got caught, but you couldn't hear it. Did you have a feeling then that you were part of a historic moment, really? No. Because no. now you must look back and think, Oh, yeah, I know. I got that hardly. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, now I do, yeah. It's like quite something, isn't it, mm. to be 
Like when you say, oh, you know, Carnaby Street, I was there when it was all happening. It's the same thing. Did you and then get when to meet I, them, oh, yeah. yeah, I got to meet them. Because when, well, when I recorded at Apple Studios, my second album, Lark, and Jim Cregan, my then soon to be husband, mm -hmm. <laughs> and he was producing it. And we had Phil McDonald, he was the engineer who engineered mm. a lot of the Beatles tracks. Right. So, so Apple Studios was right in the middle yeah. of like Savile Row. And yeah, they'd be walking in there, and George would be like, Can I come and have a listen? And they'd come in and, mm. and say, Oh, sounding great. You know, John would never, he would just like walk by, you know. Mm. And I, Yoko was around then, so she was always kind of like, you know, she didn't seem yeah. to like me very Keep much. Your hands off my yeah. <laughs> and Ringo got dropped with him one night down the Playboy Club. Ringo, Harry Nielsen, and Bernie Tolkien. People <laughs> got really, really blasted down. And he was lovely, Ringo. And Paul, you know, he was always friendly, and he, he, he still is. I saw him at the the palace thing, you know, and I was backstage. Buckingham Palace. I hadn't seen him for years, and he walked past me and went, Hello, how are you doing? And I was like, Oh, all right, yeah. It's really sweet. But what he were did you that. Doing at Buckingham Palace for that? I was just invited. Okay. As an audience, yeah. Okay. And we were backstage with everybody, yeah. hanging out and stuff. So you never met them see. on Hard Day's Night then? You no, just even though we tried, we, we right. locked ourselves in the toilet Did you? When, when the filming was done, but we got caught. Oh, <laughs> which one were you trying to meet at the time? I think I still want... No, it was Paul. <laughs> right. Did you ever tell Paul that you'd want no. to marry him or whatever? I should do, shouldn't I? <laughs> by, by the time he's, well, when I first met him again, he was with Linda. He probably has so many people telling him that. Mm. I talk to him like a one-to-one, -one, yeah. he's the same person to yeah, me now. Course, yeah. But in those days, I remember walking into Apple and seeing the Beatles. They walked past and they disappeared into this room and I was being all cool as they walked mm. past. Like, mm, you know, I'm recording here as well. Mm. They walked into the room and I was like... <laughs> and apparently they had the two-way mirror so they could see out anyway. They could see me like you're reacting. But I was trying to be really cool. Did you get any autographs or any souvenirs of them? No. Unfortunately, no. no. I never kept all my stuff. When I kind of went AWOL and went to America, I lost all my, like, mementos mm. of people, like my book signed by Muhammad Ali and people like that. Really? Tell us about Muhammad Ali. Oh, my God. That was, like, years onwards when I'd married Jim Cregan and we were on the road with... Rod Stewart, because yeah. Jim was with the Rod Stewart yeah. band. And we were in the same hotel as him in New Zealand. And once again, I was at the bar, had a few too many <laughs> drinks. Me and Jim had had a row. So I went up to my suite on whatever floor it was. I must have took a wrong turn. Instead of going right, I went left, because I've got no sense of direction. And I thought, hang on, my suite door's open. And then I looked around, and there's Muhammad Ali sitting in there. Large as I. Because after he finished his competitions, he was doing show things, wasn't mm -hmm. he, showing people. And he was sitting there, surrounded by these <coughs> gorgeous women, you know, of all kinds of colours. And he went, come on in, honey, like that. And I went, oh, right. And he sat me down next to him, put his arm around me, and proceeded to, like, you know, basically flirt with me. I was just, like, looking at his huge hands, yeah. with his huge hands. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, we looked up, and then there stood my husband going, what are you doing in here? Yeah. <laughs> he went, who's here? And I went, that's my husband. And he, uh, he went, what are you doing married to that white honky? <laughs> <laughs> and then I was dragged out of the room by my husband, unfortunately. But I did get his, his autograph the next day in, in his autobiography. Did your husband not recognise him then? He did, yeah. yeah. But he was too kind of... Too jealous too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were just sitting there, he, yeah. but he, he did have his arm around me, and I was like a little tiny thing yeah. about him. That's when yeah. I was really, really skinny as well. Yeah. How amazing to, to be able to talk <laughs> I about I know, I'd like love that. to meet him again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us how it all sort of developed for you um, career-wise, from going to stage school to... to all right, so I stopped going to stage school, and then I went to ordinary school, and then I went to convent, <laughs> and I didn't want to know anything to do about music career. I was going to mm. be an, an artist, I was going to go to art college. And then when I left school... No, no, no. Before that, I was in South End, which was our local seaside resort, and my mum was there. I was about 15. I think I was 14, actually, because right. my first record was 15. Right. You turned my bitch into sweet, mm. which is now worth £50. <laughs> and we saw this club. It was something like the Downbeat Club itself. Mm. You know, they used to have, like, jazz in the afternoons. Mm. And on there it said Johnny Hooker, you know, so... 
so um, we went in there. I didn't even know who John Lee Hooker was, but my mum said, oh, let's go and have a listen. And uh, he did his thing, like a blues set. And then my mum said, go on, go and ask the band if you can sing. Go and ask them. <laughs> so um, I did, and they let me sing Dancing in the Street, because I was really well into Tamla Mozart by then, listening to all the you know pirate stations. Mm-hmm. And next thing, John Lee Hooker introduced me to his manager, who was Don Arden. I think he wasn't really interested in me, he was interested mm-hmm. in my mum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think so. As a singer or just personally? No, as, as, a, yeah. as, a, as a woman, because right. she, okay. she was only like 30 or something. Right. And um, to him I was just a little girl. And Dom Arden was the manager, and his producer of all his groups, with like Small Faces mm-hmm. and people like that, was Ian Zemmour. And Ian was the first one who really made me believe in myself. Mm-hmm because he was the one that went, look, you're going to be as famous as Diana Ross one day, and you've got this fantastic voice. And he turned me on to all the new American sounds, mm-hmm. and Dixie Cups, and just loads yeah. of American stuff. I played their song, Going to the Chapel. Oh, like, yeah, Going to the Chapel. Yeah, I love that. And I met them as well, I Did met Dixie it? Cups, yeah. Cool. All these American people used to come over, because he yeah. was... Um, a&R, so you'd have, you'd have Maxine Brown and you'd have all these soul people coming over, you know, playing down the Flamingo mm-hmm. Club, yeah. And then I, I joined a band um, that Sammy got me into. That's Ian Samuel, I call him Sammy. Yeah, yeah. Called Herbie Guys in the Nighttimers. He was like an American soul singer. Mm-hmm. And he had people like Junior Kerr who, who went on to play with Bob Marley's lot. Mm-hmm. You know. The Wailers. Yeah, the Wailers. So we had this like soul band, you know, and I used to come on and do like a little bit of cabaret thing in the middle with my long dress and do like Nancy Wilson songs and things. And I had all the go-go dancers, you know, <laughs> and we used to do all the American basses. This is when I was still at convent school. So I used to do like um, a Saturday night and like hardly have any sleep over the weekend and come back to school with like eyes down here, you know. But then I did my G- GCSEs and left school. And then went on the road home. <coughs> I had an interview with some, some, some sort of art college, but I, didn't, I just didn't go. Mm-hmm. I just went on the road. As a backing singer? Or as no, a as, singer? as a lead singer. Right. So you did a lot of backing vocals, didn't you, for quite a few distinguished artists? That was between me leaving a group, Ferris Wheel, and me becoming a solo artist of mm-hmm. my own right, not just being a band. I sang with backups like Manfred Mann and Cat Stevens lots of different people, yeah, heads, hands and feet, um, did lots of jingles. Oh yeah, any yeah. famous ones? Spangles, <laughs> Smarties, oh, they always had me the little girl voice, like the yeah. little, it was always the sweetest mm-hmm. and things. And, um, oh yeah, I went on the road with Matt, Chapter 3, with Manfred Mann. Right, you know. oh, David Bowie, I thought you did. Oh yeah, did, um, of course, <coughs> yeah, I forgot the most famous one. Aladdin Sane. No, I did about three tracks on that album. Yeah, and it was um, Panic in Detroit, Detroit, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I remember going to the studio. I must have been so kind of wrapped up in my own little world. I didn't even know who he was. And then this guy came in to um, try the studio, and he was like all dressed like makeup on. Mm -hmm. I said something like, Have you been to a. (laughs) Have you been to a fancy dress party or something? And he just kind of looked at me like. (laughs) <laughs> Who is this woman? I didn't know. But he liked my voice, so that was good. Did you like his voice? I mean, it was, it was yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I love working with her. We're trying to contact him again because we're trying to hook up with people who admired me, like Stevie Wonder yeah. and Eric Clapton and people who, you know. He actually mentioned me in Time Out the other day. He was mentioning the first Glastonbury. Right. And I was on the first question bit, mm-hmm. and me and him kind of got stoned one night. And he was, he was saying, I was up all night with Linda Lewis and Terry Reid, and I had to perform the next day, and I can't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember it. Because I was like, by then I was a hippie, and I was into taking yeah. acid and all sorts yeah, of stuff. Because <laughs> a lot of artists seem to have had a little affair with David Bowie. Did you get uh, No, I didn't, no, unfortunately, no. I didn't really fancy him. He was a bit girly for me. <laughs> I fancied Mark Bowen, but we lived in this house in Hampstead. We had a lot of people coming in and out because there was a DJ called Jeff Dexter who ran the Roundhouse every Sunday. So lots of 
artists would be in and out, Cat Stevens, Elm John. All these amazing people would go in and out anyway. And Mark Bowen. Mark Bowen. I always remember he, had, he used to wear these Anello and David tap shoes. Mm -hmm. He was just like a little pixie. And always very sort of, you know, like a, a dandy kind mm -hmm. of person. Mm -hmm. But he had this aura about him. It was fantastic. But he was he was married to this older woman who was June. very... June. Child, who was, yeah. June. Who was very intelligent and I was very <gasps> awestruck by her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I never kind of showed any of my... <laughs> of my... Um, what I felt about Mark, mm -hmm. you know. And then, next thing I knew, he was with Gloria, mm -hmm. and I hadn't seen him for a long time. He was going through that stage where he was not having hits, and he was getting fat. And then I saw him, and I was having all the hits then. Mm -hmm. And we, we had breakfast in some Jewish cafe mm -hmm. outside Petticoat Lane mm -hmm. one morning. We'd all gone there and done some sort of show, and there was me, him, and Mud, and loads of people all hanging out together. <laughs> And we were eating like bagels, you know, mm. at 10 o'clock in the morning or something. And I just remember looking at him and thinking, oh, what's happened to you? You know, because mm. he was into drugs and mm. all sorts of things. And he was all bloated and looked awful. And the next thing I knew, he died. Mm. And um, I went to see Gloria in hospital. Did you? Mm. You've become quite friendly with her. Yeah. Well, Steve Harley was friendly with mm -hmm. Mark as well. So me and Steve Harley were buddies and um, she had all her teeth wired up mm -hmm. so she had to write things down and she was writing and at one point she wrote something down and she handed it to me and it went did you sleep with my husband no. <laughs> and I was like no I didn't but she didn't believe me had he wanted to sleep with her husband well yeah but well, I she, didn't. they weren't married were they, they never did get oh married. did you sleep with Mark, with Mark I think yeah, yeah. did you sleep yeah. with Mark yeah and I should have written back, I wish I had! <laughs> no, I didn't. Mm. And even if I had of, I wouldn't have told her, would I? Mm. Especially in that condition. Yeah. Any other fantastic anecdotes about 70s rock stars that you that you met or whatever? I met <clears throat> Mick Jagger. Oh, that's another Bowie story. I went to his... He retired, didn't he, at one point in yes. the 70s? He retired Ziggy Stardust, didn't he? So that's yeah, the last time. that's it. And he had a big party afterwards. Mm. And there was, like, Mick and Bianca. Mm. And, and at one point in the room, there were so many stars walking around. And I just thought, I'm just going to head for the buffet. <laughs> so I didn't really know anyone put mm. intimately. And I could see... Uh, Angela and Bianca were kind of canoodling. There was a lot of canoodling going on between the same sex, if you know what I mean. And so I headed towards the buffet and I was helping myself to something. And this person was standing next to me. I didn't even look up and I went, I wouldn't give up my lunch for nobody. And I looked around and it was Mick Jagger. <laughs> and he was referring to a line in my song. I rock a little do and I go, Yes, I give up my lunch for you, baby. Right, and he just gave me the eye, and it didn't dawn me, and I just looked at him and went, and he was obviously like trying to, you know, come in with a really yeah. good boom, and I just ignored him because <laughs> I was so like, so like shocked that Mick Jagger had said anything to me anyway. Well, that alone aligned to one of your Yeah, <laughs> and then it dawned on me, it was like, wow, I've mm. just been praised really with my lyrics. Did you so, ever have a fling with anyone famous in those days? Um. Cat Stevens was one. Oh, really? Yeah, Cat Stevens, yeah. We had a little, we had a little thing. Denny Lane. We had a little thing together, but he mm. was with Jojo. And I didn't know she sort of knew about it. Actually, I didn't even know he was with her. But then yeah. I was with Cat Stevens. It was right. always like that in the 60s. Mm. Everybody didn't know quite who they were mm. with. But I remember Paul McCartney had this do once. He just bought Buddy Holly songs. I always remember he had this suit with still all the stitching in it and stuff. Mm -hmm. And we were all in a circle doing knees up off a brow. Really? Where was that? In, in somewhere like the Lyceum. And Jojo come by and she kind of knocked her drink over me. And I knew what she was trying to say. Mm. <laughs> you know, so... Do you think when Cat Stevens gave up the business and sort of come on was it? Well, we were on tour with him and he was starting to go that way, you know. Mm. And he was losing his sense of humour completely. Because <laughs> right. we, we were on tour and he, he just he just started getting so serious mm. that it was like we, made, we, we, we took the mickey out of him all the mm. time, basically. We couldn't take him seriously. I still hear from him. He sent me a book. Oh, was it? Not Christmas. So what's the, what do they have? Ramadan. Yeah, Ramadan. Yeah, yeah. yeah, last year. And he's always trying to recruit me. <laughs> 
to be a Muslim. And I was just like, there's no way I'm going to be yeah. a Muslim because women aren't free in the Muslim, right, yeah. <laughs> to me anyway, yeah. you know, yeah. so. I went to a Muslim wedding that he, he was at, yeah. But yeah, I didn't realise he was going to go the whole hog and just yeah. really do it. And he's been like it for years, hasn't it? Yeah. So it was something, I mean, he, he was always searching. You could tell mm. he was like searching for some meaning in his life. Mm. You know, he had all the riches and all the adulation. And it wasn't enough. And I kind of understand that a little bit. Because mm. I, I get torn by that as well. I'm like, is this really what I should be doing? Mm. It's not, I'm not giving anything, you know. Mm. Did you call him Cat? No, Steve. Oh, his name was Stefan Krokonopoulos or something. Oh, it's okay. Greek, wasn't it? Oh, okay. Yeah. He took me to his, his dad's Greek restaurant once and we had like great fun smashing plates mm. and stuff. And his mum was Swedish. Yeah. Did you sing on any of his records? Mm-hmm. I sang on a track called Ruby, My Love, right. on Tea for the Tiller Man. Or? Yeah, beautiful album. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you've done some great tracks. Yeah, Fantastic. thank you. <laughs> Do you look back on the 70s with the same kind of enthusiasm that the likes of myself do, you know, thinking, oh, those were golden days, or mm, did you... I do. You do? Yeah, up until a point where it all sort of went skew-whiff. Mm. I, I loved it. It was all, like, magical. It was so... It was fast. It was all happening. It was like, mm. well, leaving school in 67, and then it was like, wow, is this the grown-up world? Everyone's taking mm. acid and giving flowers to policemen mm. <laughs> and having... You know, legalised pot rallies in Pine Park. Mm. That to me was like, that was my first experience of the mm. summer of 60, 68. So that summer, and then like joining a band and going to the south of France, and then living in this communal house mm. in Hampstead with all these fantastic people mm. who I didn't know were going to be famous or not, but mm. they were all talented and they were artists and poets. And it was like that sort of thing, going out on Hampstead Heath. And, mm. and it, was, it always seemed like it was summer. Didn't you write a song about Hampstead? Yeah, Hampstead Way. Yes. Yeah. Can't be many songs about Hampstead, no. but there you go. And we lived in a place yeah. called Hampstead Way, yeah. that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. I, I think I codename everybody by a different name. Oh, I say right. my firefly friend. And yeah. Tell me a Rod Stewart story. There must be a Rod Stewart story in you somewhere. <laughs> oh, God. Did he try it on with you? No. He liked blondes, didn't he? Well, if he weren't blonde, you had to come in the back door. <laughs> oh, but I just thought he was like... I couldn't. I couldn't see why people fancied him. Really? Did no, I think it? he was just mm. no. So sort of really. When I first met him, he was with Britt Eklund. Yes. And she was nice, and she was really beautiful. She was yeah. lovely. Me and Britt just got on like that. You yeah, know? When, when I lived in LA, we were real close mm-hmm. friends. And mm-hmm. then when Rob left her, she was so upset. Mm-hmm. And I remember like she had this mad party where everybody like. Well, mostly, not everybody. Me, she started it. She took off all her clothes and jumped in the swimming pool. So I thought, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> took off all my clothes and jumped mm. in the swimming pool. And it just become like a kind of, uh, you know, mad party. Mm. Yeah, so that was in the 70s. Um, but Rod, oh, mm, I found him really quite uh, quite boring, really. And he was, he, he was um, a very kind of, when he was with the lads, you mm-hmm. know, it seemed like he had a whole kind of spiel kind of up his sleeve, like he didn't quite live in the moment. We went across the Atlantic with him, me, me and Jim, and him and Alana, his second wife. I didn't like her at all. But it was funny because one, one time the guys circulated these pictures of her that they'd found in a magazine from years ago like her doing naughty things in the magazine and they mm. circulated them around. Mm. Yeah, and, they, and Rod was absolutely livid. Yeah. So that kind of blew her cover a bit. Yeah. Did <laughs> anyone ever ask again. you to do a photo shoot or any kind for a magazine that sort of get your kit off for a men's mag or anything? No, but I did an album, didn't I, with my coming out to see wet, a wet look thing. Was yeah. that very controversial at the time? Right? It I was, yeah. I was too young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your mother would have been, close your eyes, dear. This was like 1977. And, you know, the, the way pop stars dress these days, very different to how they did in those days, of course, and how do you look back at those sort of fashions and so on? Um, well, I'm still dressing like it. Huh. <laughs> and all those fashions are coming back in, aren't they? The flares <laughs> and the kind of ethnic hippie <laughs> kind of look, which, I, which I've always liked. And I like the ethnic thing still. I always <laughs> like dressing that way because I'm very kind of drawn to all Eastern things. <laughs> I've always have been. I know what it's different now. Now they have people like 
hordes of people kind of doing their image, don't they? In those days, we didn't have that. You just got on with it, and if you kind of had a bad hair day, then you had a bad hair day. No one's going to kind of like help you out or anything. No one really told you how to dress. You just did it however you wanted. Did you become a diva at all? Did you sort of get demanding and sort of say, I'm Linda Lewis, you give me... I think I did for like about two seconds. And I remember having a kind of... seeing myself behaving badly. Mm. You know, when you look down and you think, oh, and and it's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that again. And do you think you appreciated it all at the time? Do you think you thought this was going to last forever and everything? Yeah, I did think it was going to last forever. Mm. And I was very blasé about it and just thought, oh, this is easy come, easy go. But I never really believed in myself. I've only started to believe in myself recently. Sad, isn't it, that you Mm. couldn't appreciate yourself in those days, as it were? Because if I had have, I would have taken more chances. Like, I would have got to work with Stevie Wonder and I would have got to work with Maurice White from Earth, Wind & Fire. They wanted to work with you and you turned down Stevie Wonder? Did you? What happened? Tell us the story about that. No, he, he wanted to take me on the road with him. When he came over to <clears> England <throat> in 1974, I had a track out called I'm In Love Again. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a hit <clears throat> at the time. It was the one after Rock-A-Doodle-Doo and something mm-hmm. happened, they weren't playing it. Um, but he was on the radio with Marsha Hunt doing an interview. Mm-hmm. And um, she said to him, so Stevie, who would you most like to meet? And he went, me, <laughs> Linda Lewis. I never heard it. She called me and said, guess what? Stevie Wonder wants to meet you. And I was like, no. So she gave me his number and I didn't call, didn't call, because I was too too shy. I was quite shy as well. And eventually, I called him with her, you know, geeing me on. And he proceeded to sing it over the phone to me, my song. Yeah, he was like singing my song. And I was like, in a room full of people going, yeah. I couldn't really, I wish I'd recorded it. I wish I had a tape recorder. And then he said, oh, why don't you come along to the studio and... You know, so I did. So you met him? Yeah, I met him. Yeah, yeah I met him a couple of times. And I'd actually met him before I was had any records out. And he, he's so kind of tuned in. I met him at Ronnie Scott's. I'd gone to see um, Roland Kirk. And I saw him in the corner. I went up to him. I was like, Stevie, yeah, I'd have come yeah. to meet him. He got out of my head and he went yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And he went, hey, you're a Libra. <laughs> really? And you are? Yeah. And, the, and, then, and then he remembered me that yeah. I was that lady after... He remembers voices, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. And he could imitate my husband. Because then I was married to Jim Cregan. And, and I took him to the studio with me. And Stevie Wonder took that. <laughs> he, he, he didn't really like the idea of me bringing... Well, he wasn't even my boyfriend at the time. He didn't like, like the idea of me bringing my boyfriend. What years were you married to Jim? I was married from 1977 till about 1982. Right. But I was with him like years before mm-hmm. that. Why didn't it last? You think show business? Yeah, because we went. I gave up everything and went to LA with him. Mm-hmm. It was a question of either we don't see each other and I'm in LA and Britt was calling me up saying, "Oh, you don't know what they're doing in LA with all these women and Rod's got women up there." And you know, it was like, and we had this lovely house in Oxshott, this big mm-hmm. splendid house with a jacuzzi and living in, you know, <laughs> and like <laughs> and. Um, you know, coming from the East End to sort of that. And and then it was a question of, well, do I want to keep my marriage together? Or do I want to... But I didn't trust him. I didn't trust myself. So I just sold... We sold the house and I went to live in L.A. And then we got involved in a lot of drugs and the whole drug thing. And for me, I couldn't... I couldn't handle it. So, I mean, you he... You get quite badly into it, drugs. Um, yeah, quite badly, I think, yeah. I had to go to um, this place called the Ashram to kind of um, detox. <laughs> mm. It was it was like um, equivalent, life. yeah, it was equivalent to like the Priory or something. Mm. And then I went to um, the meetings for a while, and then I just thought I'm not going to last here if I stay in LA. I'm mm. just not going to. I'm too susceptible. So that's when I came came home. Mm. Had you had a lot of fans in the seventies when you were? Yeah. And a lot of blokes, I suppose. Quite yeah, a up, apparently, I I, apparently, I was. Yeah, I, I didn't realise, and I didn't realise that people were in love with, love with me, like um, people who were famous, and they used to go, "Oh God, I used to love, I used to love you," mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't realise that I was. Like who said that to you? The guy from Led Zeppelin. What's his name? Rob Plant. Yeah, right. people like him, and I was like, 
Oh, really? I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't aware of my femininity. Mm. Uh, most women, I think, when they get to a certain stage, they know the power of their of their sexual. Um, but I didn't. I was very sort of little girlish in my in my mind, in my head, and I didn't know my own power. Darn. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel when you look back at photographs of yourself as you were then? I just think I I look. I look sweet. I look like a sweet person trying to look all sexy. Mm-hmm. You know, I see these pictures of me, like you know, with the, and I just think, oh, I don't know how people could have taken that as, as sexual, but um, they did. Seventies seems to have been a very naive time for a lot of artists. They were stitched up by agents and managers mm-hmm. and financially, you know. Yeah. Did, did you Definitely. feel you were one of the naive ones? Yeah, I <laughs> didn't have a clue. I mean, I still don't. I'm a bit better now with figures and money and stuff, but I'm still not as good as I should be. But I am aware now. I say, well, can I see the accounts? And I never did that. And I had a manager who said, well, we should invest all this much money in this gold somewhere. And then I just never kept my eye on it and then blew it all. What did you mean by that? And is that what you mean by blew it all? Well, when I went to live in LA, when I left my career behind, went to live out there with Jim, and just to be like the wife. And give yeah. up my, you know, romantic yeah. notion of oh, I want to be with you because we weren't seeing each other. Yeah. He was off on tour. I was doing mm-hmm. things. I had lots of things to do, and it was. It felt like we were growing apart because of that. But it probably would have been healthier for us to keep going like that. Mm-hmm. And just you know. Then we, when I moved to LA, we had a massive, great big house with a pool mm-hmm. and a maid, and you know, it was keeping up with the Joneses really all the time. Nothing mm-hmm. was was like good enough, you know. And then I just started thinking, well, this isn't making me happy, you know, all this drinking and drugging and houses with swimming pools, it's not what I imagined my life to be, and I wanted children as well, but because I couldn't have any, and Jim didn't want to go into it any further, you know, adopt, or, uh, I couldn't have any, because um, I was not infertile, I had lots of um, ectopic pregnancies, and miscarriages, and Mm -hmm and things and in those days it was just like oh you can have another one you didn't have mm-hmm. counselling so I mean if I'd have had some counselling it would have helped so I was very depressed I mean I once tried to I took like a whole overdose and things like that when you were in Los Angeles and here mm-hmm. in England you really wanted to end it all the second time I did yeah mm-hmm. the first time I was just like I did it and it was like oh my god I called the Samaritans up and they like quickly you know, talk me round, talk me round. The next thing I know, I was in the hospital, and um, and then it was then someone grasped and told it to the papers. So it was in the papers. What year was that been then? That was like 1977, just after I got married, basically. And Britt called me up and said, "Jimmy's having an affair." <laughs> you know, it was the night. It was on my birthday as well, which was really awful. Should I was alone in this big house. Yeah. Poor thing. <laughs> it sounds such yeah. like a. I mean, it's so tragic. But I think I was in to being tragic as well. <clears throat> I had this kind of tragic thing about me that I was like, great artists have to suffer, and mm. you know, I had this thing going on as well. Mm. But if you had so much property and so on when you were married, why didn't you still have it after you were married? <sighs> oh God, that's a long story. And then I got involved with a man. I kind of what's it called on the rebound. Mm-hmm. Well, this man who basically ripped me off and, and stripped me of all my self-worth and well I didn't have much self-worth anyway but stripped me of my self-worth and, and my money <laughs> now when I look at it he must have seen oh rich woman yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. you know that's what I think opportunist mm. yeah so how do you feel about your career do you feel that you blew it and that, and that you're trying to rest get it back now or what do you think about it yeah, I think I did blow it in a way that I blew it before I blew it because <laughs> um, I was doing my own thing, writing my songs, and I had a little, you know, had a good fan base and people, you know, I, when I had the hits, I had obviously lots of fans, and then when I started not having so many hits, but I was still writing my songs, and that, but then the record executives were like, "Come on, you know, you need hits, we need hits, so we're going to send you off to New Orleans to work with Alan Toussaint." I mean, I worked with some great people, mm-hmm. and Bert Dakota, and mm-hmm. things like that, great experiences. But it, it wasn't my stuff, and I basically think of myself as a songwriter, mm-hmm. singer, like the two come together. Mm-hmm. I don't just think of myself as a singer. 
Although I do want to do an album of all my favourite standards one day. Do you wish you'd never gone to America? Do you think that was the big mistake, really? Um, no, I don't wish anything didn't happen yeah. really anymore because it's like where I am now, I wouldn't have been here now if I hadn't gone through all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm like a nicer person mm -hmm. and I think I'm more aware of things and I was not very aware of other people and I was all tied up in myself and all my angst and all that. And now I'm, I'm much more, you know, much more can sit back and look at the world in a bigger mm -hmm. space. And, you know, obviously having Jess, he's been like the... Um, most amazing thing that's happened in my life. Bringing up a child is like mm. one of the, the most amazing things you can do. Mm. It's hard, but it's very rewarding as well. Mm. How does he feel about you being a pop star? Oh, he he, he can't be bothered. Really? <laughs> no, he's like, oh, mum, you're not going to... You sing all that old-fashioned stuff, but then, like, when um, somebody... Who was it? Midfield mm. General did that mm. um, track of mine, Reach for the Truth. He was quite impressed by that sort of secret, mm. you know, he was like... I could hear him playing it to his mates and all that, but he, he sort of won't let me think, you know, that I'm... What about he, JK? You work with Jamiroquai? No, he sampled something. Oh, sorry, That's all he did. Now, my sister, Dee Dee, right. she worked with Jamiroquai. Oh, did she? Yeah. Okay. So you never met JK then? I haven't, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, he just took my <laughs> stuff and sampled it. Mm. So that's how I've got quite a few new fans, you know, mm. like Touring Breaks did a version of one of my songs, mm. and a lot of fans... That much younger, you know, in their 20s and, mm -hmm. and things, which is quite amazing. How much do you get recognised these days? No, I don't get recognised that much now. Sometimes people look at me and they're like, I know you, don't I? Yeah. Or you're, are you that, you're that, um, and they say something like, Minnie Ripperton, and I go, she's dead. Mm. <laughs> or, they, or people come up to me and go, oh my God, I thought you were dead. <laughs> really? That's nice. <laughs> yeah. And I'd go, no, that's Minnie Ripperton, because they get us mixed up. Voice-wise, yeah. you were compared, weren't you? Yeah. Did you ever meet her? No, I didn't. I'd love to have met her. Mm. I was just reading about her, and um, I'm reading Quincy Jones' book. It's fantastic. Nice. You've got to read it. Okay. Biography, yeah. There's a great story about Dinah Washington. When he stays up all night, gets drunk with her, and they like, and she calls him up the next day, and she goes, "Hey, grasshopper," she said, "I don't know if you remember, but um, we got drunk last night, and we did the doggy three times." Oh my <laughs> God. Like, I, I just think that I love stories like that. <laughs> I just think that is so funny because you always think Quincy Jones is this very kind of, you know. But I'd love, I'd love to work with Quincy Jones. Mm. What about Michael Jackson? Did you ever meet him? I met him, yeah, I met him at Top of the Pops. Yeah, and what did you think? Sweet little guy, he was shy. He was on the same bill as me, mm -hmm. and so I thought, I must go and say hello to him, you know. And I knocked on the dressing room there at the door, and I was like, oh, Michael, he was only like 14 at the time or something. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, Michael, I'm such a big fan of yours. And he was just like, well, thank you, mm -hmm. thank you. And that was about it, really. <laughs> it was like, goodbye. <laughs> did you watch the documentary on him? Yeah. Before? Sad, what do you think about the whole story? It's just really sad. He's got so surrounded by people who just yes, yes, yes him and give him all the... He's got no one who can tell him the truth and say, Michael, you, he needs therapy. Mm. I mean, I feel sorry the way he was brought up with the father. But now I feel sorry for his kids, you know. I mean, his kids... Are, no. I don't believe... I mean, how can you believe him when he says... I haven't had plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. And I, and in the same breath, he says, I don't sleep with boys. I, I, I kind of think he doesn't do anything, like, bad with them, but I, I think that it's just wrong anyway. I, I just feel, I feel sorry for him. I don't really believe him because he, cause he lied about the plastic surgery. So I just think, well, he's... I think he lives in the fantasy world and he actually believes it. Mm. I don't think he's lying. He actually has created this fantasy <coughs> world of mm. himself. It's protecting him from all the stuff that he doesn't want to mm -hmm. come to terms with. So I really, I really, really feel sorry for him. I mean, he's a great, he's a great artist, and it's mm -hmm. a shame he's had to go down that road, really. Do you feel, in a way, you've been forgotten to certain extent? Yes, hell, <laughs> I have. I do sometimes. I like moan, you know. I go to my, I call up my manager and go. I went in the shop set and there was albums of like this one and that one and that one of me and I'm looking around the record shops looking for me. And if I find one, I put it in the front. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. Bless you. I always put it in the front. Yeah, I mean, I'm not as bad as I used to be. I used to be really, um, 
you know, I had a bit of a chip when I first come back to England because it was like everyone had changed, all the music industry people, and I didn't know anyone anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was very hard to get a deal, and I finally got a deal with a very small record label mm-hmm. that did like Second Nature and all those things that I did in Japan. But but now I just think it's great what's happening. You know, I mean, there's loads of things I'm going to be doing. Um, Glastonbury, I'm going to be doing Montreux Jazz Festival, and I'm going to be um, doing Jazz Cafe again. So I'm doing lots mm-hmm. of gigs, but it's not too many, you know, because I don't want to be gigging all the time. I like it just spread out. And there's going to be like four albums live at Ronnie Scott's. Um, do you do all the hits when you when you do these concerts? I don't do it in these kits. I didn't. I didn't do it in these kits at Ronnie's right. because it wasn't appropriate because it's disco and okay. it's like a jazz club. But next time I probably do like a funky version of mm-hmm. it. You know, more sort of R and B. What do you think of Cher's version? <laughs> I thought it was dreadful. I can't mm. bear her voice anyway. Mm. She's a great actress. She mm. should just stick to acting. I was jealous when that was number one. Because I'd been trying to get the company to re-release, and I had I'd done a demo of it in a really just, you know, that kind of high energy stuff, and um, they were like, "Oh no, that's that's been a hit too recently." Mm. And then she had a hit with it. I was like, and every time it's been out, it's been a hit. So it'd be great because it'd be on the compilation along mm. with like the Moon and I and stuff that everyone on the, mm. on my website is always asking for that song, mm. and that there's going to be that, and then there's going to be Lark. Say No More and Fathom State all released separately oh, okay. so not just an anthology yeah. so it's like I'm going to be flooding the market mm. <laughs> people will be going no forget that why do you think all this is happening now for you? I don't know I must have done something good or something I don't know maybe it's just because I'm prepared for it I'm open to it now I think a lot of the time I kind of put obstacles in the way and not you mm. know followed up things and wasn't quite sure if I should but now it's like Oh, what the hell? I might as well just go for it. Mm. And if it fails, it's not the uh, end of the world. It's know? interesting you use the expression, I put obstacles in the way. Because do you think that pop stars like yourself get into all that and take themselves to the edge? Because simply life is just too easy. Mm-hmm. Everything's going so fantastic. You have to sort of throw a spoke in your wheel yeah, in some way. That's do right. you believe that? Do you? Cause I, I do, yeah. Do. I don't blame it on anyone else. I blame mm. it on myself. Because, as I say, I felt like an imposter when it was all mm. happening, you know, you know the imposter syndrome where you think, mm. wow, that, you know, I'm going to be discovered mm. that I'm not any good really. Yeah, I'm a fraud. Yeah, yeah, I'm a fraud. Because there are so many people out there who I admire and just think you could just like not go anywhere because you'd just be in awe of those people. But now I just think, well, they're doing their thing and I have my thing to express. Mm. It's me, I'm unique. I'm not comparing myself to anyone anymore. So that's how I put myself out there now. I don't compare myself. Mm. And it's not a competition or anything like that. So I'm much more grounded and wise in that respect. But do you kind of think, you know, I, I should have a palace, the amount of money I used to have and the amount of brilliant work I've done and stuff? I just think that my palace is out there. I just haven't got the keys to it yet. Well, my palace is waiting for me. But it's there, but it's just... You know, I'm going to get the keys mm. to it soon because I'm going to have a lot of success again and then, mm. but I'm not going to be stupid with it this mm. time you know, I'm going to take care to sort of look after myself and mm. my son and basically not think it, it can all last forever but just being realistic about it my life at least has been interesting it certainly has have you, any of the people around here know who you are? do they know that there's a star in their midst? Yeah, my next door neighbours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so funny when I first moved here because the parents of the teenager went away. Mm. He's about 18. And I, I was sitting here one night and I thought, that sounds like me. Mm. And he was playing like the new version of Reach for the Truth. Mm. And he obviously didn't know it was me. And it was like, he played it over and over again and I was going to knock on the door and say, could oh, you please? Because I thought he was yeah. doing it on purpose, oh, but right. he actually didn't know it was me. God, how weird. Yeah. No, they're all really... Extraordinary. They see me when I get up in the morning and put yeah, in the rubbish yeah. out yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> so uh, they just know me as, as Linda. Have but you been no. on through the keyhole at this house? Not this house, but I was in... Oh, yeah. 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 And he came and he went, Now this girl is um, obviously immature because she has books about Winnie the Pooh. Because I've got loads of fairy tale yeah, books. Yeah. And, and um, <coughs> he's obviously... Um, Fascinated by, obsessed by Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> so I've got biographies and 
And are you seriously thinking of writing your autobiography now? I am, yeah. Have you actually started it yet? I have. I've got like a, what do you call it, a... Um, Synopsis? Yeah, but it's very rough. It's like, and, and like, sometimes I work on what the names of the chapters are and things. And, and there is another book that I'd like to see, just, you know, a kind of Yoko Ono book? Where, have you ever seen one of her books? No. Where you open the page and there's just one word. <coughs> oh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was going to do like like a kind of John Lennon-ish yes. type thing. And, um, Deep and uh, meaningful book. Yeah, no, but you'd open it and there'd be like, oh, I wouldn't give up my lunch for nobody. Oh, yeah, and it would yeah, be just yeah. written like that and it would be yeah. like an illustration yeah. that I'd done. And then you turn the page over and it would be like the story, the story about how that happened mm-hmm. and things like that. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do it, but... There's so many things about my family that I don't know if I would hurt anyone by. I'd like it to be humorous, like mm-hmm. um, the David Niven book, you know. Yeah, Wings uh, of Berlin. Yeah, yeah, which I love. It's one of my favourites. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings by telling the truth. <laughs> you know, like the stuff about my mum and, mm-hmm. and things. So I'd have to be very clever to make it really funny or have someone help me to make it um, mm-hmm. And there's a lovely little piece that Jim wrote about me as well. So you're still friends with Jim? Yeah. And I still got because he was my first really true love. Charles Waring, he writes for Blues and Soul. And when I was telling him about it, he was going, oh yeah, I'd like to help you. So, I do need help, <laughs> definitely. How do you class yourself as a singer? As a blues singer, as a soul singer, as a jazz singer? What, what do you call yourself, just a singer? I don't know. I, I would more say soulful, probably. In Japan, they call me acoustic soul. Okay. Because I play my, that's my guitar. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is as old. That is like 1942, that guitar. And that used to belong to Eric Clapton's girlfriend, Alice Ormsby Gore, right. before he, he was with Patty. And you still use it? Yeah, I won't use that, Ronnie's. Yeah. And, and what do you want to achieve with the rest of your days? Um, I want to achieve peace of mind and, and like really being true to myself, especially through my music. I want to be able to express myself honestly, you know, because um, I always think that I've hold something back. I don't think I've let it all out yet. Mm. <laughs> that might like blow people's minds if I did. And I'd like to be in a movie. Have you ever been like... asked to be in any movies apart from since you were a kid? No, not, not like... no, but I'd like to do like the story of, say, Diana Washington. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, we did Dougie three times. <laughs> no, but someone like really good, like Diana Washington, or because they've done stuff about Billie Holiday, mm-hmm. but no one's done her or Ella Fitzgerald or Sarah Vaughan. Yeah. You know, all those fantastic singers. So. How satisfied are you with your career so far? Mm, five out of ten. Five out of ten. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah, it's getting there. But it's just I'm um, trying to hone me down to what I want because I'm very kind of changed my mind at a drop mm. of a hat. I'm a typical Libra and I'm always changing my mind. What's the greatest tribute you think you've ever been paid? I've ever been paid? Mm. Probably when I was doing, just recently, when I was doing a jazz cafe, I was so nervous because I hadn't done a gig for ages. And my sister came backstage and she saw how nervous I was. Mm. And she went, just go out there and do it. Everyone's going to love your voice. And she said... And she said, and I love you just because you were born. And I just nearly, oh, it makes oh, me go with goosebumps. And I just think that's lovely. Yeah, fantastic. And yeah. how do you want people to remember you after you're gone? What do you... Of course. <laughs> um, as a cockeyed optimist. Just an optimist who never lost faith in anything. Well, there's a song called The Cockeyed right. Optimist, isn't it? It's like mm-hmm. someone who goes around kind of like, oh, it's all going to be all right. Ooh. <laughs> Right, musically, how do you want people to remember you? Um, as someone who moved them, who moved them, moved their emotions, who uplifted people's spirits. Because when I was a little girl, I used to dream that I, I could heal people with music. Oh. And, um, and I think music is healing. Mm. It can heal people, it can take you out of yourself, it can help in all... And, I, and that's another area that I do want to get into, because I'm into healing stuff. I've done right. some Reiki and I've done some other things, NLP, and I'd like to incorporate sound and colour healing mm-hmm. into actually, like, one-to-one thing mm-hmm. as well. So Does it frustrate you that most people would always remember you for a couple of hits in the 70s? No, if that's what they want. Mm. <laughs> it's just, you know, I don't think 
But when you get DJs or producers on the TV, like they go, oh, but she's that disco artist, isn't she? And that, that can mm. get a bit piss you off because mm. it's like, well, they obviously don't know. That was just like one song, mm. and they haven't heard the rest of my. But most people don't say that. They they're aware of my stuff, and they're mm-hmm. like, oh my god, Linda Lewis, what mm. what's she been doing? And you get a really good feedback mm-hmm. according to my. Agents and money. <laughs> this is what they tell me because I'm thinking, really, did people really say that about me? Because I just think people have all forgotten me. So it's kind of amazing when people haven't.